What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Four of a Kind podcast. Today, it's me and Max in here, as you can see on the video on your screen. Um, and we've also got Eric Smith in here. How's it going, Eric? Hey, I'm doing good, buddy. Cool, man. Um, Eric's having a little bit of uh, video issues, but we're going to roll with what we got here today. Um, so excited to talk, to talk with Eric. He's uh, He's got quite a a resume here with what he's done uh in his life first off tell us where you're from man so i'm from uh just north of tampa and you know florida and um the place that i where i was from was called land of lakes because and i mean it's not where they make the butter that's wisconsin i guess but land of lakes is all about fishing and hunting or it was when i was younger now it's all being built up and that's why i moved to north carolina i hear you so. um and, and, and you kind of started hunting as, as a young boy. Is that, is that kind of how you got going? Uh, no. So, I mean, I really got kind of a weird, weird start into hunting. I mean, um, so I've got three older sisters, you know, and it's kind of funny, the oldest one, she's five years older than me. And when she was three, she saw, um, a cow being butchered on like channel three WEDU or whatever. And she decided at three that she didn't ever want to eat meat again. And yeah. she has not. The one time she's eaten meat since then, I guess I was about six and I was always tired of hearing about the vegetarian this, vegetarian that. And I put a little piece of turkey off of my sandwich into one of hers. And I, that's, that's probably the only thing I ever feel bad about doing to one of my sisters. But she took one bite of it and uh, she was out the door throwing up. Mm. But uh, how, and how, how, did that, how did that lead you in the, in the hunting? Well, it's, well, basically, there wasn't really anyone in my family into hunting. Uh-huh. And uh, I had a, a great uncle, my mom's uncle. He had done some hunting in the past, you know, but he wasn't, you know, like into it. But I just, you know, from the time I was about five, I just wanted to fish and hunt. Like, I didn't even know anything about hunting. I would just read and watch whatever I could, you know, and just started, you know, just trying to learn as much about it as I could. And then, uh, so it was just my mom and my sisters when I was growing up, my dad and her split up and he, uh, he actually moved to Virginia off and on. And, you know, it was later when him and I started, you know, really fishing a lot and stuff like that. Um, so I, like, I was real lucky. There was a guy down the road that, uh, he, he was a duck hunter and he'd hunt the marshes down like in Leesburg, Florida. And I, like, I would ask him about his boat, his decoys, his guns, you know? And I think finally when I was about 10 or 11, he took me with him on a duck hunt. And that was like the first taste of it that I really had. Did it, did it and, eat up? What's that? You ate up with it? Oh yeah. Just not so much the duck hunting. I can take or leave the duck hunting, you know, but just hunting and, you know, trying to gather my own meat is what I'm really into. So it's kind of more of like the, the concept of it is, is kind of what got you more or less. That's pretty cool. Um, Yeah. Well, how did you jump into the, so just a little backstory, Eric kind of uh, mentioned in a, in a message to me that he had done some hog hunting, catching hogs in South Florida with some cur dogs. How did all that unfold? So, how did you or how did you get to say, hey, we're going to go catch some hogs in South Florida with these dogs? Right. Well, so, I mean, me and my buddies and stuff were pretty tough and pretty wild when we were 
15, 16, 17. I mean, we rode bulls down there too. Like we, you know, we would do whatever. If it was going to be fun and exciting, we'd go for it. And down there, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who do hunt down there. There's less now, but you know, 20 years ago, there was quite a few people that hunted. And um, so I just meet, you know, as I was getting older, get, going through school, I'd meet people who, you know, like I'd have buddies who hunted or their, some of their family hunted. So I would just try to, you know, go anytime I could. And uh, the, um, so that's, and like the, uh, yeah, with the blackmouth cur, we, uh, the first time I ever hunted and caught hogs or, you know, sometimes you stick them if you're not, you know, if you don't want to take them out alive, but, uh, I had just went when I was about 15 with a couple of my buddies and, um, you run the hogs through the, you know, you run the dogs through the palmettos, but the cur dogs, it's not like a hound. So it's not going to be way off from you. These cur dogs. Tell me, uh, tell me what the, the cur dog is. Cause I, and, the, and this is C-U-R-R, right? Yeah. And there's several kinds. I mean, there's mountain curs, there's black mouth cur. There's, what, uh, what are they, are they close to anything like, uh, as, as far as genetics wise, or, I mean, I could yeah. Google it, but I, I mean, I, I yeah. Can't. So the different ones are different mixes. Like, uh, the, so like the Catahoula leopard cur, that's the one that comes from, uh, the Catahoula Parish in Louisiana. And that dog breed goes back a really long time. The natives are the ones who started breeding that dog for a working dog, you know, for uh, hunting, you know, and stuff like that. And then um, I don't know exactly when, when the blackmouth cur has been around a long time. It was, it's bred to be a cattle dog, but they have a good nose on them and uh, they're not afraid of hogs and they love it, you know? So, so y'all running through like the, like, are y'all in the Everglades or, or y'all under like, the, what are those canopy trees called? I don't even know if they're in Florida. The big live oaks and stuff. The live, the live yeah. Oaks. Yeah. Now so are y'all running yeah. under the live oak kind of thing or how's that, how's that going? Yeah. So a lot of it's big live oak hammocks and then it's real thick with palmettos. I mean, you can't just walk through it's palmettos, you know, I don't know if you know what they are, but they're, you know, chest high and just as far as you can see in every direction, you know, and there, then sometimes it'll be, you know, uh, pines. We have a lot of pines down there too, but, um, it's just palmetto everywhere. And then swamp, if it's, you know, if it's dry at all, the palmettos are growing. And other than that, you know, the dogs will catch them sometimes down in the swamps or in the bar ditches alongside of those dirt roads. And, uh, yeah, it gets pretty crazy when they're, when they're in the water. Now is uh is these dogs doing a catching or do you have like a single catch dog like some people run like a pit or something like that? Yeah, so I've done that both ways. It depends. Like sometimes you just want your dogs to bay, and those cur dogs, all the curs, the Catahoulas, the black mouth, the mountain cur, all of them will uh they they're good. You can have you know you can tell them to just bay. You teach them to just bay, and they'll only bay. They'll you know be running around the hog, biting it on the ass, and then running back the other way and biting and they all just bark at it and keep it bait up, you know, in a little spot. And, uh, then you can go up and, you know, if you want to shoot the hog or whatever you can. And, uh, the, the 
a couple good curves will catch and hold one too though it all just depends some of them are a little bit more gritty than the others so they want to catch more some of them just like to bay but if you've got three or four they'll catch it for sure but yeah sometimes guys run big big bulldogs but uh man the bulldogs are always a problem out there in the woods like either they're trying to fight another dog or you know they won't let go of the hog or they're ripping its ear i mean I I prefer the cur dogs over having a bulldog just for catching. Now bulldogs you, are, when you, when y'all were, you know, getting in, I kind of lost my train of thought. But um, oh yeah, like down in there. I mean, I'm sure it kind of gets pretty intense. And, oh yeah, it's wild. These dogs start getting onto these hogs. I mean, has 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 somebody gotten a leg slashed or something like that, or some somebody gotten run over before? Oh, I mean, yeah, you get run over quite a bit, and so. I do know like some older guys who had been hooked by him, you know, in the calves and stuff like that. Uh, but one of the men, more so than like slashing you with the little cutters, they'll bite you like a dog and they'll take a chunk out of you. Really? They, uh, yeah, they mm. got some serious jaw power and they will bite. But uh, what, as long as you just like go for it, like, so if the dogs have it caught by the ears, we go up behind the, you know, and grab the two back legs and pull them back so it stretches those front legs out and then shove it forward and turn it like you're rolling over a wheelbarrow and the hog will just fall on its side and you know you grab all four of its legs and then we use like big zip ties to zip tie their legs together and then you can haul them out alive or sometimes we just you know cut them and turn them into a bar hog and then they get fat so the next time you catch him he'll be better eating huh so y'all, so y'all are catching them, and then, and then, what did you say you're doing with them? So, well, we'll take them out and eat them. Uh, so, you know, give them to people. Depends how many, but okay. yeah, uh, we'll castrate them though. Yeah, oh. yeah, cut them. That you know, we'll castrate them, and uh, then they start putting on a lot of weight. Uh, it changes their mind from ass to grass. You know, they start putting on that good fat. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, what's the i mean i'm assuming you probably eating sows and boars i've heard oh yeah i've done a little bit of hog hunting and i know that the sow is the go-to meat but i i don't know that i've eaten a boar is that i mean those are like big there's a big difference in the taste correct well yes and no i guess it depends who you ask it depends who cleans it and it depends on what you do with the meat after you've got it quartered out because I guess that's with probably anything. Same uh, with like, you know, if you pissed on a porterhouse and then cooked it, it ain't going to be very good, you know? <laughs> but uh, you got a point there. Yeah, you got a point there. Um, yeah. So, but I brine them. So if I get it and I've had people tell me, hey, um, if you, you know, if you get a sow, because I shoot a lot of them too. They're easy to spot and stalk and it's a fun hunt. Like I caught, I did more dog hunting when I was younger, but, uh, I like to spot and stalk and shoot them, shoot them with pistols or whatever, you know? And, um, but, uh, so I've had guys tell me, Hey, if you get a sow, I wouldn't mind a a shoulder or a ham off of it, you know? And the next time I go out, I end up killing a big, you know, a big boar hog, you know, 200 pounds, 180 pounds. And I just take it and clean it and I'm careful when I'm doing it. And then I put it in, uh, a cooler with a bunch of ice and I put salt on top of the ice and I leave the drain plug open and uh, just keep it good and iced up and salted up for any two days makes a big difference. I've done it five, six days, just keeping the conditions right. And um, it pulls any of that, 
gaminess. People like to call it gamey, you know. Yeah. Um, but it takes a lot of that out of it, and it's just as good as a pork chop from Publix. Honestly, it's better. Now, when you uh, when you're catching them and taking them back, so you're like you're keeping them live, and you'll bring them back in a pen and like feed them, kind of clean them out, like feed them grain or something, or how do you do that process? Yeah, a lot of people feed them corn to finish them off. But uh, so a lot of the ones that we would bring out alive, we would take uh, like people who were training dogs would buy them, you know. So they say they need a 50 pounder alive because they're going to train their dogs, you know, catch them a 50 pounder and take gotcha. it to them. Mm-hmm. Now, is this like a every weekend deal that y'all are doing this? Is or Sometimes a lot more often than that. Sometimes, you know, every night you go at night if you're running dogs, you know, the hogs are more active um but we do it as often as we could for several years you know yeah and then just here and there too like i the i haven't had any dogs i had two but it's been uh i've got my son's eight now so it was nine years ago this is the last time i had two good cur dogs but yeah. um I've, i know that uh we were talking about the gamey taste i th- i think a lot of it's more or less how you just come up eating meat you know majority of the time you're eating beef and the people that were growing up eating a lot of game probably think that beef and and other cuts of meat that are natural to us taste different i mean I, that would yeah. be yeah well think about too on how many people uh say they don't like the taste of deer or you know it's gamey or it just didn't taste good too tough and like nine times out of ten they don't know how to cook it they're not cooking it right because yeah. i've had deer before that i could say i mean you would have told me it was beef and i'd have been like well well i could have believed it even though it's obviously not the point but it's just all about guess how you definitely prepare it and cook it with everything else yeah and eric you said that I, that you how you prepared it with the to get the game taste out how how are you uh you know spices and everything how you how you making it up to be served cooked on a plate and everything so if i was going to cut up a back strap you know into uh into chops pork steaks whatever um man usually i uh like depending on how quick i'm trying to cook them like if you just season them up with some everglades seasoning i don't know if you've heard of that up here it's a big it's a great they have a like a just the original and then they have like a everglades heat that's a little bit spicier but that's that's good seasoning um and you could just dust a little bit of that on on each side and fry them in a cast iron skillet or put them on a grill and they're delicious like it's better than you know the pork the pork you buy at the store is real bland really it doesn't have yeah. much much of anything and this uh the everybody that i've given wild hog to told me it was the best hog that they had ever had and they always said oh, i don't know i've heard it isn't good blah 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 but like i said you just got to do your processing cleanly you know when you're taking them apart and uh try not to gut shoot them that never helps um <laughs> you ever had a you ever had a real close call with catching these things or almost taking a tusk or getting bit uh you know i've not really i know so i know a guy so uh when i was about 15 or so um i'd met a a, like a friend in school and his stepdad was the best deer hunter best hunter period that i've ever known and um he uh back when i was 15 he was about in his late 50s and i swear this guy could fall out of bed late and kill three deer before he hit the ground 
I mean, he was that guy, you know, and um, he had uh, he had a couple hundred acres in North Florida that we would hunt. And um, he had a big Airedale that would catch, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with an Airedale breed, but uh, it's another working breed. And but just him and that dog caught so many hogs and he uh, he tripped and fell. He was a pretty small dude. He was a little guy um, and he fell and ended up underneath the hog with just that one dog, you know, holding the hog, the front of the hog. And he ended up, I think he dropped his knife when he fell and just the little pocket knife he kept in his back pocket. He said, I was under the hog. All I could do was reach up and, you know, cut towards the front, you know? And he said the, the hog took a few steps, all its guts fell out and he was laying there out of breath, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the closest personally that I know of anybody that's, you know, about gotten tore up good. Yeah. We, uh, we just, we listened to a podcast not too long ago and <clears throat> it wasn't even a self-inflicting like wound from the hog The the two guys were running from the hog itself and like tripped over a drainage ditch. And, and one guy blew out like his knee ACL and everything. And the other guy fell and broke his arm just from running from the hog. It wasn't even anything to do with it, but damn that's bad luck they'd have fared better if they had just stayed there with the hog yeah square up with it or something yeah yeah I yeah i mean you can you know they're they're only scary if you don't know them if you've been around them plenty i've been in them with wild hogs and catch pins where we catch them and move them out i'm just not afraid of them it's like you know it's like a dog or something i'm not afraid of dogs either you know so i'm not afraid of it so if you know if you're not afraid of it and you know what to do to control it it's not a big deal at all like you could go on you know a couple day uh dog hunt in florida and you'd be handling them by the end of the first day just like you'd been doing it probably they sh you, they'd show you how and then uh it's not a big deal especially not on the you know anything under 100 pounds sometimes those big couple hundred pounders are a different story but the dogs man the dogs are so good and they'll just stretch them out i mean if you have the back legs the dogs got the front and the hog's not getting back to you if you got the back legs you know what i mean those dogs will stretch them out and you just lay them over on his side you know well, I, I know uh, i can speak for myself and my brothers and friends all around here if, if we ain't hunting them we don't want anything to do with them <laughs> yeah so we we was turkey hunting one time and we, we stumbled upon some and they all, you know, snorted a little bit and took off through the brush and it, it made the hair stand up on the back of our neck because we was ready to go to war, but obviously they was more scared of us. Well, I don't know. We was probably more scared of them, but they took off. So I remember yeah. smell, man. You can smell them from 80. Oh, so, yeah, you sure can. And I, I try, I, I was, I was teaching a friend of mine how to hunt. He'd, he'd kind of hunted growing up, but he'd never killed anything. He was older than me, probably seven or eight years, but he just uh, had never had any luck, you know? And um, so I took him out hog hunting first to like show him like we can go out. Actually, we had been going fishing out in this wildlife management area uh, in Pasco County in Florida down there. And um, we we're going to fish these little grass ponds in the back. And, uh, if we went three days, we'd see the hogs two or three of those days crossing at the same spot at the same time. So I'm like, okay, first day of hunting season, we went to Walmart, bought uh, our hunting licenses and had a about 170 pound uh, hog loaded up within an hour of the timestamp on our licenses. I mean, we just been seeing them every day. I said, okay, we're going to beat them there by 20 minutes. And then, you know what I mean? You can shoot one 
and uh it worked out perfect and he's like oh and i told him you're talking about smelling him i was like all right his name's joey i said joey i said the one's gonna walk out like i smell him already he's like what you can't smell hogs i said dude i'm one's gonna walk out right up there and uh it took him it took probably him seeing me do that like three times before he started believing me that i was smelling him i'm like dude just slow down you smell them yeah oh yeah yeah that that i don't know i guess it's just in their hair and just oh yeah their hide stinks yeah they roll around and yeah their hide stink eric have you have you ever shot a javelina you ever smelt one of them no uh but i've you know heard a lot about how they smell but i've never been out hunted out that way yeah if you do i guess if you take a coyote and crank it up to a hundred and take a hog and crank it up to a hundred and yeah you you fuse them together that's that's what those things smell like you that's a prime example of of 20 some yards out 30 well i'm sure some some hogs probably just the same but mm-hmm. like you don't even want to we had one guy um we was in texas he shot one and he was cleaning that thing and everybody in that whole entire place left that butcher room because it was just it, it, you'll forever that's remember right. the smell that's yeah sure. they got that gland right on their back don't they i i'm not sure that would make sense i don't they didn't tell me anything about a gland but i wouldn't doubt it because it is yeah they so i'm sure if you're cutting into that gland it's going to be real bad but yeah there's a big spot on their back uh, i think towards the the hind end right in there there's a big gland that i know it gets pretty bad um i've heard stories about them but i've uh I haven't hunted, you know, any javelina or I haven't hunted out in Texas where they have any or anything like that. But I, um, so the, ho- so even before I started doing this hog hunting, I better back up a little bit though. So my uncle that I told you had done some hunting, I did a lot of fishing. He had, uh, like a 40 foot egg Harbor, um, offshore boat that we we'd fish in the keys off of this boat. It had a 28 foot tuna tower, big outriggers. Like it's an offshore boat a big egg Harbor. They're made up in Jersey. Um, beautiful boat. So he, we did that for a long time. Uh, he had a house on Summerlin key that he ended up selling to, uh, Jose Wahebe That was the Spanish fly on ESPN two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So we ended up like my, the guy's like, okay, I want to buy the house and I want all the, the furniture and all the fish mounts and all the, you know, like my uncle would, uh, like polyurethane, uh, lobster you know exoskeletons and like he'd put them on a board they'd look real cool so the guy's like i want all of this and my uncle's like all right well he was sponsored by uh shimano so my uncle got a bunch of shimano gear you know for letting him keep the furniture and we still have some of it going i mean some of it's never even been used yet but uh so when I was about 13, he's like, all right, I don't want to go down to the Keys this summer. He's like, I'm going to go, let's like go find somewhere else. So he started taking me in the summers, uh, up to British Columbia. And, uh, so the first big animal that I ever shot, uh, was a black bear up in BC when I was like 14 or 13 or 14. And, uh, then, and he, so he started, he was doing some hunting up there. Um, and he, he shot a big moose on a fly-in trip. <clears throat> um yeah I was he shot a on that, the, the fly-in moose hunts you was talking about yeah uh so they you uh you fly out of like deese lake up in like northern bc and um 
you can fly into they fly into like this it's actually i can tell you the name of the lake i don't care i'm not probably going to be back there but they fly into level lake and that level lake up there you fly out of deese lake a couple hours in a in a float plane and level lake is really good it's right by the telegraph trail is like at one end of this lake and uh pretty it's up there you know and um my uncle got a big moose and uh this this dude porty his name's porty he's like a like he had a trap trap line and shit up there like he was a mountain man and uh that's who helped me get the bear and him and my uncle got a big moose i never did get a moose um i had one one time i could have shot one i was on a logging road and the moose was like 300 yards out like four foot of snow and i like i had my scope on it and uh I was like, no, I don't want any part of this. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way me and my uncle can get all this meat back to the truck before like tomorrow, you know? Yeah. How, no, when y'all go out there, like, what are you packing and like, like how long y'all staying for? Uh, so he bought a house up there. He, he was a real successful guy. Yeah. So he bought a house up there and uh, I ended up staying up there and I went to middle school at the town is Smithers um i've still got a lot of great friends at there it's it's in bc it's about two and a half hours by plane north of vancouver wow. and uh he found the spot because he wanted to be close enough to the coast to go catch the halibut and stuff like that and he wanted to be not so far north the bugs were terrible and right there there was good rivers that was close enough to the coast the salmon came in and close enough that we could go out and catch halibut you know out of like prince rupert which is you know a big uh, fishing town in bc so he picked a real good spot the people are great up there the hunting's great the fishing um so like be doing that um that like that that's what sealed the deal to where like okay i'm gonna hunt yeah. as much as i can from now on you know and uh it wasn't easy though i feel bad for the guy that was teaching me how to hunt up there i think i did miss six bears before i ever uh before i ever hit one but he taught me how to shoot though i was like i said i was young this was the first i was like 13 and i'm shooting a 30 out six and um so I was flinching the trigger. Like before that, I'd shot 22s and a couple shotguns and BB guns a lot, you know? But uh, so I, he determined that I was just flinching on the shot. And uh, so what he'd do, this is the best trick I know. I've taught a couple people to quit flinching this way. He, uh, he wouldn't show me if he chambered around or not. And he'd, I, he'd tell, like, I'd get the uh, gun shouldered and he'd put a dime laying sideways across the barrel and so if there wasn't a round in there i better squeeze the trigger soft enough that that dime doesn't fall off you know what i mean because i wouldn't know if there was a round in there or not so it teaches you to quit flinching yeah. it's it's yeah it works really well so i quit flinching and the next time you know is when i got that bear the next time we went out so Good it job. worked out but yeah i bet he was frustrated <laughs> Did y'all ever have any rough hunts uh, uh, that you remember of uh, chasing them moose? So, bear, I guess y'all were hunting the bear on the ground and then doing the flying moose hunts on. Well, so, no, so we did a lot of moose hunt. right there. I mean, you can drive 30 minutes in any direction outside of Smithers, BC, where I told you where I bought that house, and you're in high, you know, you're in the Rocky Mountains and 30 minutes outside of town. It's what they call crown land up there. Down here, they'd call it state or whatever but it's crown that's what the you know the canadians call it and um 
it's just all it's just mountains as far as you can see with logging roads going through them everywhere and big cutoffs and you can get up high into the mountains and or down you know lower in the valleys and stuff and the moose would be the moose uh during rut would come way down into the swampy stuff and uh yeah we saw a lot of moose um i saw i've seen a lot of people get one but uh they were just in line before me i was still a kid you know but um now with the uh the moose is is there any like thermals involved like like you would be elk or yeah obviously you're playing those in that in that sense uh as well yeah um man as long as you just play the wind their nose really isn't that good and they don't see very well they just call to them and when those bulls are rutted up they just make a crude sound with a you know a uh a birch call you know have you seen those birch calls yeah they just make a crude sound with that and you'll hear the bull you know you can hear the bull from a mile away at least you know when he does that real low grunt and he'll swing his head to you know each way every time he steps and he'll grunt every time just whoa 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 you know walking through there and yeah they'll cover some ground man there it's it's cool i bet it's intimidating as hell seeing that big rat come swinging through the woods because and and like you said he's walking and he's he's leaning side to side when he comes through there um and now, like, are y'all hitting trees and stuff like that? Like, as as a uh, kind of like trying to call them in? Because I know seeing some uh, hunting channels, they would kind of imitate a big moose coming through, like a thicket or something like that. Yeah. So the one I know, the one guy would the guy Porty. He he, but he was a guide up. You know, he was a guide in the Yukon and in northern BC for years. You know, and like he's a real deal mountain man. Uh, he had the trap line for in the winter time. He'd run and. I think back then, right before, um, like right before the trades, when the trade centers got hit, the uh, fur market took a big dive. But before that, I think in four months or whatever, he was running his trap line. He was making 50 or 60 grand. And um, yeah, he'd catch everything though, from wolverines to wolves, you know, and uh, just the mink and, uh, you know, pine martin and fishers and all that stuff. The, I, bet, he, I bet there's some ungodly wolves out there. So I'll tell you a wolf story about this guy. And uh, he had a dog. He had a black lab named Critter that he'd take with him everywhere. And uh, so he had a cabin at the end at the end of his trap line on this little lake. He had a little cabin, you know, a one room, one room cabin with a couple bunks and a kitchen and stuff where you could get your food ready, a wood stove. So he'd set his traps on the way out or or whatever depending on which way he was going sometimes you know on the way in he'd clear them and reset them and then he'd stay at the cabin at the end for a couple of days and uh then he'd go hit him on the way out you know back to his house and uh one night he was in there and he said the dog was whining at the door and scratching at the door and uh He's like, hell, you know, he tried to, you know, get her away from the door a couple of times. And he says, I guess she's got to go take a piss. So uh, he let her out and he said, you know, 30 minutes later, he was worried, you know, where the dog's never gone this long. So he said whenever it got daylight enough where he could walk out, he said he followed her trails just 40 or 50 yards uh, from the cabin. And he said he could see where the wolves ambushed her and he, he uh, he said he just found pieces of skin here and there, and he found the uh, the pink the pink rope collar from around her neck. And I swear that dude went out 
right when he got home and bought another black lab pup and put that same damn collar on that one. I, I mean, he was tough. He was a mountain man. Hmm. But uh, hmm. he went on a wolf wolf uh, trapping spree after that, though. And he, I think he caught seven right in there around his cabin. Yeah, I was gonna say, I bet his worst enemy after that was a was a wolf. He probably wanted to kill them all. He did. He he waged war on him. He was not happy. I mean, he like I, you know, I joke he did go out and buy another dog and put that same collar, but he loved his dog. Like he took that dog everywhere. He was mad when the wolves got it, you know. Yeah. And he he was telling me that uh, you know, especially if it's a male dog, they'll take one of the female wolves that's in heat and use her to lure the dog out away from the house or away from the the owner or whatever and then they'll uh you know they'll just kill it and eat it wow. wolves are ruthless yeah yeah that i couldn't imagine that environment out there being out in the woods did you ever feel like would you i'm sure you had some hair standing up on your neck times being out there in the woods i definitely did but you know like never uh never from exact something that I could pinpoint exactly what was giving me that feeling. Not like seeing a bear. I've seen, I, my bear store up. So even being, I sh ended up shooting that bear at 10 yards, which is probably another reason I hit that one finally. But, uh, my uncle, I have it on video. My uncle walked up behind me. We spotted it and it was going around a corner up on a high logging road that went through this slash. So we, uh, we had glassed it from several hundred yards away and we're like, well, he's going that way. So we'll sneak up behind him. But between uh, somewhere where he was on the other side of that curve, he turned around and started coming back to us. So we came around a little kind of a hairpin turn on that logging road and there's the bear and it spun around or run away from us immediately. But I just threw up and, you know, shot him before he could. And it, but it was 10 yards, you know, and that didn't scare me. Like it was exciting. My heart was pounding. But like I've had some other just, you know, some other times in the woods up there, never anywhere else. But up there, like I have had some weird feelings in the woods. Like, you know, something fucking that can eat you is out there, you know, a wolf or something, you know, you don't see it, but, you know. Yeah, kind of like the hunter becomes the hunted out there. Right. And maybe oh. nothing's there, but, you know, in those out in those old, you know, like where it's never been logged and stuff out in that old timber on those mountains, you know. Even if there's nothing there, your mind could probably still get to worrying. Well, something might be. <laughs> it starts playing with you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. actually, uh, they actually say that, um, like a bear altercation, like that's like the most probability of someone actually, someone else getting shot just from it's real frantic, real quick, and people go to pull up. And I've heard a lot of times of people like either shooting themselves or shooting their partner or something like that, just because there's so much chaos going on at one yeah. time. Yeah, I've heard that too, but it also reminds me of that joke, you know, you don't have to run fast, you just got to run faster than the slowest guy, you know. Yeah, maybe they shot him in the knee on accident, and maybe it was on purpose. Yeah, Who got true. out of there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was going to touch in on this, uh, your, your whitetail hunting, man. I You said oh, yeah. you're big into the steel hunting. What it, now, when you're saying steel hunting, what do you mean by that? So, steel hunting, uh, it's, it's, the term for uh i guess most people don't call it most people think still hunting you're sitting in a stand i guess being still but that's not what still hunting actually is like if you were to look it up um still hunting to still hunt you just you know you have an idea where the deer are 
coming and going. You got to scout first, but you want to put yourself where you know those deer are coming through. And usually, you know, sometimes you might walk a hundred yards and it might take you two hours to go that hundred yards, but you're have putting, you know, yourself in more opportunities to see a deer than you would be just sitting still somewhere or sitting in a, a, a stand. And I get bored in a stand, honestly. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I just, I moved up here in September. I didn't have a whole lot of time, you know, to really, uh, scout, but I did a little scouting and I ended up, you know, I shot a big nine point here a little bit before Christmas and, um, I passed some smaller deer, like some smaller eight points and stuff. And this one, he came running up from behind me and I had to shoot him on a run or I might, I know there was bigger deer. I had bigger deer on camera, but I just saw big white horns, you know, running away from me. So I was able between some trees, I got the, the sights in front of him a little bit and nailed him. But, uh, so I was pretty, I was happy with that deer for my first season up here, you know? Yeah. How'd you end up in, in North Carolina? Maybe you'd so, already. Uh, my dad, uh, my dad lives in Virginia. He's, been back and forth from florida there quite a bit so he's close and uh my sister um bought a piece of property up here um in glade valley so uh they were up here and then they've been up here for a few years and i just moved up uh in september but uh i was just getting tired of how hot it was in florida because i work outdoors you know and um in the summertime it's just too hot and everywhere is just being developed it's apartments and shit where it used to be nice woods and the traffic's too bad everybody's moving down there and they've just made it to where nobody even wants to live there that's from there now did you did you do much uh, whitetail hunting in florida oh yeah yeah um and sometimes and so it's if especially in that county where I'm from, Pasco County right there. If you know somebody that has just a little bit of private property somewhere that'll let you hunt, maybe it was an orange grove or just, it doesn't have to be big. If it's anywhere in that, that county is where the, um, the Florida record book deer came from. Um, what is that? And, uh, it was 203 inches, oh, wow. I think 204. And um, typical or non-typical? It was, it was a non-typical, um, the guy who, who shot it, its name is James Stovall. It's a pretty famous, uh, it's a pretty famous deer, you know, it's big. And he was, I, he, apparently the story I heard was there was a, a typical with it that was just as big, but he, uh, he couldn't get a shot at that one. So he shot the other one. He was, a, a, from what I heard, he was hunting, you know, uh, either of these big deer, but yeah. that one came closer so now you're on the non-typical or typical side um as far as what you prefer i like typical but with just a little extra character yeah you know little kicker here and there yeah yeah or like a can opener going up the g2s you know yeah you get a lot of them in the swamps and stuff how's the hunting been um uh, as far as the white tails from north carolina to florida well, uh, it's easier to kill a bigger one here for sure. Um, unless, like I said, if you have, if you get, have the right piece of private property that somebody will let you on, you can kill 
it's not hard to kill 140s down there on private property. They're there. There's a lot of them killed and a lot bigger than that, that people just, those good old boys aren't trying to enter stuff into the Florida Big Buck Registry and all that. But uh, like, they don't care. They're hanging on their wall or their horns are nailed up on their barn, you know? Um, But there's a lot, like that county has a lot of big deer. Um, I think that this one, this one I shot, I mean, I haven't measured them or anything, but it's at least, I would say it's at least, you know, 120 inches or a little more. I don't think he's under 120. So he was nice. I was happy with it. You know, he was big. I know he's over 200 pounds. I didn't have a scale, but it was all I could do to load him up. Yeah. So so the the bodies are bigger up here for sure. I'm going to jump all over the place here. Uh, I want to hear about this fish for halibut and, and the sailfish you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So that catching the sailfish and the dolphin and stuff, that was first, that was down in the keys with my uncle. He had the house on Summerlin key yeah. and uh, he had the big boats down there. So uh, like me and him would go stay on the boat for the, he'd, he had the house at first and he sold the house and we'd stay uh, on key West, like at the docks right past the uh, turtle cross restaurant and stuff like right up from Mallory square. I don't know if you've been to key West, but it's like, right there at the end and um no, so we yeah i forgot about that i think i went on a cruise oh yeah so we uh we'd stay him and i would stay on the boat for like two months i'd usually like leave the last like the last week or two of school i'd ditch out early to get down there and then i'd come back like a week late to start school you know what i mean like the fishing was more important and so from, um school, from school ending to school beginning you were living in the sea yeah but so after he sold the house he would rent a boat slip down there at the uh i can't remember the name of the marina but it's one just right by the turtle crawls restaurant down there um it's where the discovery glass bottom boat that takes you out to the reefs we're right next to them to that boat and um so we'd go out and troll usually we'd troll like off a marathon and what they call the hump out there and uh it's real deep and it just rises up, you know, within like 500 feet of the surface. And that's where all the black tuna are. Um, and, uh, the Marlin are there eating those tuna and stuff. And there's, you know, dolphin. So usually one time we came upon a, um, a big piece of styrofoam that had fallen off of like a merchant, you know, Marine boat or who knows, like it was, you know, as big as a small house, this big chunk of foam, and uh, we caught and sold 103 dolphin, you know, mahi, mahi, dorado, whatever you want to call them. We caught and sold 103 that day. He had a commercial license, wow. you know, and then uh, he'd use that to pay for diesel. That big uh, Egg Harbor yacht had uh, twin, um, I think, uh, like 400 Detroit diesels or something, or maybe even bigger than that. And it had a big generator to keep the cab, you know, uh, air conditioned good and stuff like that. It was a big boat. So it burned a lot of fuel. What's the craziest thing you've seen out there in the ocean? Oh man. Um, so we hooked a couple big Marlin, but we never did land a big one. We caught sail. Sailfish aren't that hard down there to catch. You troll like a ballyhoo with a, a sea witch uh skirt you know in front of the ballyhoo and you catch dolphin and little sailfish you can catch the sailfish right on the reefs out there you know trolling a ballyhoo but um the uh 
I'd say the nicest fish I caught out there or not that I caught that I saw caught out there. Um, my mom's brother caught a, uh, a yellow fin tuna that I think was, uh, 107 pounds or 109, somewhere just under 110, 110 pounds. And, uh, you don't usually see that many yellow, yellow fin tuna down there. And especially not that big. It, uh, we, and that was around a five gallon bucket that was floating. So anything that's floating out there, a palm frond, a pallet, we've caught so many fish off of pallets that you find floating out there while you're trolling, you know, you're just trolling and the, you know, in the, um, in the Gulf stream, you know, down around the tip of Florida. And then anything that you see caught in that Gulf stream current that's floating has fish under it. There's big triple tail. Um, my uncle though, he, my, it's my mom's uncle, uh, my great uncle, he was the best spear fisherman that I've ever seen. Like when he was in, uh, when he was in high school, his friends would go down to the Gandy bridge, which goes across Tampa Bay down there. And, uh, it was legal then to shoot. Now they call him Goliath grouper, uh, local Floridians call him Jew fish still, because that's what they've been for, you know, decades and decades. So it's hard to change, but uh, he would dive down under the Gandy Bridge, you know, when he's 16, 17 years old. And he told me he'd have to swim through schools of these Goliath grouper to look for one small enough to shoot so it wouldn't drown him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'd shoot one and he could hold his breath like three minutes. I mean, he could free dive better than anybody I've seen. You know, he was he was the man. And um, so he'd shoot these big Jewfish under uh under the bridges there and his friends would think he was dead you know and he'd pop up and a big jewfish would float up next to him a couple hundred pounds you know and um finally as he got older like when he he got older and he had a couple power heads um he had a 44 magnum blank and a 357 magnum blank it's a power head it goes on the end of your uh the tip of your spear so when it hits the fish, you try to aim for the gill plate. So when it hits that, it, it uh, sets that blank round off and the percussion kills the fish and they don't fight or pull on you or anything. They're stone dead. Wow. So he got those as, you know, he got older. And uh, one time he shot a big cobia on a wreck. Um, I think down like towards the dry Tortugas. And um, by the time we got back, like three days later, we had gutted and taken the gills out of this cobia. And like three days later, when we're back at the fish scales, it was still 81 pounds gutted and gilled. That's, oh, that was okay. a huge cobia. Um, and he'd, he'd die, he'd free dive. Like if we'd come up on a pallet and, you know, there might be 20 schooly dolphins on it. And, um, now this, this was back when there was no, uh, this is, wasn't recently, you know, now they have like limits on these fish back then they didn't. And he had a commercial license. So this was all legal, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. He does. So, if it, you know, if there was 20 on a pallet and say five of them, the hook, they bit once and the hook pulled, or they were just more shy. He'd dive over, um, and shoot the ones that wouldn't bite just to get them all. You know what I mean? He's like, nah, we're not going to leave those. And I mean, in blue water, you know, a thousand feet deep, 1500 feet deep. And one time he was sitting on the side of the boat and he, he would just roll off backwards off the, you know, the gunnel of the boat. And, uh, just as he was about to go, he looked to the side and, uh, there was a huge hammerhead coming by like a giant hammerhead. 
and they're not really, they don't really attack people. They're fish eaters. But if he'd have dropped right on top of it like that, I think it might have nailed him just out of fright, you know? Yeah, and luckily, yeah. luckily he saw it go by, but he wasn't afraid of sharks either. He'd never, you know, he dove for 65 years probably. It just never had a problem with him. You know, he'd pushed him away with his spear gun, but, you know, I guess he, he was never afraid of him because he did it for so long and so often, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so he, he, the, he was a big diver. The sharks. I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine the, the, I mean, were, did y'all catch a lot of sharks when y'all were out there uh, during the summers when you was out of school? So we'd, we didn't want to catch sharks, you know, I'd catch sharks like, so, so we'd go in, uh, you know, every couple of days or sometimes we'd just go out for the day and come back and go to our slip that he had rented at that dock because we'd have to get ice or get fuel or whatever so we weren't always you know sometimes we just make day trips but then if we wanted to go fish like some wrecks for amberjack like down there by the dry tortugas or catch those big black grouper down there we'd go for three or four days and then you know come back when we had to get ice but uh i'd catch sharks like if we were if we were docked overnight, I'd catch sharks or big barracuda or whatever I could off those docks down there or off the bow of the boat when we were backed in, you know, to the dock. But uh, there's a lot of sharks. The sharks are everywhere. I mean, I was going to say, is there, is it primarily uh, hammerheads in that area? No, no. I mean, unfortunately all over Florida, there's a lot of bull sharks and those are the bad ones, you know, like, yeah, they're, those are they're the aggressive and, yeah. They're aggressive and they, they're inland, they're hunting in murky water. So, you know, and they're just tough. They don't care whatever, if it's alive, they're willing to give it a shot, you know? Right. Other, other than uh catching, hooking up to a shark pound for pound is I've, I've always heard Amberjack is the best fight. Is that true? Amberjack fight good, but I, the, I think the best, uh, the hardest, I, the heaviest fish fish that I've caught besides a shark is that 126 pound halibut I caught up in BC and man, that thing was like trying to bring a car hood up off the bottom and, you know, 250 feet or so. It was, it was strong. How, and, how, uh, how many people could that feed like a one sitting? Uh, so we would uh, have it all vacuum sealed and frozen. We'd take it back to the house. We'd, man, that one fish, there must've been, uh, you know, you get meat off of both sides of them, top and bottom. There's not much of a skeleton left. It's super thin. If you fillet them right, you should be able to read a newspaper on the other side of it, you know. And uh, there must have been like at least 70 pounds of meat off of that fish. I would say more big, thick fillets. The fillets would were like six inches thick, the top fillets on the brown side. So just to even cook those, we'd have to fillet the fillet right down the middle, you know, so it wasn't too thick to cook, just to make them, you know, manageable sizes. It was a lot of meat. And we'd catch cod up there and uh, like the yellow-eyed rock bass and stuff like that. And we'd bring, you know, we'd bring the meat home and then we'd send it down. Like people would come up there, you know, other some of the family would come up there and to BC to uh, hang out for a week or two, whatever they could and do a little fishing and see it and stuff, you know, just all the family members. So we'd send some meat home with them, fresh, you know, salmon or halibut or whatever. I mean, we were flush with the meat. Um, and I, I, halibut, that's uh they basically got the same anatomy as a flounder, correct? Yeah. It's just like an overgrown flounder. Gotcha. Yeah. Brandon, that, that's where um, we had a, Brandon had family members go on there. They was catching halibut, but they was uh 
they was using electric reels to bring them jokers up. They was yeah, I just had a, I just had a, like a Penn Senator three or four, uh, you know, um, mm. but I'd been catching grouper and, and Amberjack, you know, like we'd go to the, the Amberjack were so bad on those wrecks down in the keys and especially towards the dry tortugas that if we wanted to drop good live baits down to the bottom, you know, say, you know, in a hundred, whatever, 150, 200 feet of water to get past the Amberjack, if we wanted to send a live bait down, we got to where we were putting those paper uh, lunch bag, like a little lunch sack, you know, the brown paper bags mm -hmm. or like what somebody would put a beer in. We, uh, we'd put our live bait in that and put a little, um, a little rubber band around it because we had the little flat line rubber bands for when you're setting your flat lines out. So we'd, um, we'd put that bat lunch bag around it and let it down that way because the, the amberjack are up higher in the water column than the grouper and the snapper and stuff. They're on the, the grouper and snapper and stuff we we're trying to catch would be on the bottom. And those big amberjack 60, 70, 80 pounders would uh, hit the baits on the way down. So, but we knew once that bag got all the way down to the bottom, you could just, pull your rod up high one or two times and that bag would wash away, you know, dissolve, yeah. you know, dissolve right off. And, uh, we could catch our, our snapper and grouper that way. That's, that's a pretty neat trick. I've, I've never, I've never heard that. That's, that's one bucket list. I want to go as a, or go fishing for Goliath grouper. Cause I, I want to go out on the boat. I want to throw a cast net, you know, catch my bait and then use mm -hmm. that bait to catch bigger bait. Right. And, right. Um, I don't know. What's, what's the most common bait you use for Goliath? Uh, a big Jack Creval, or my favorite is a, uh, a big cow nose ray, or at least that front half, you know, half of a cow nose ray and, you know, hook them right through the eyes on a big hook. And you can, I mean, I've got a video just the, uh, maybe seven or eight months ago in Florida, I hooked a big Goliath grouper off the skyway. They have a, where the skyway bridge, it's another one that crosses the bay. Um, the old bridge is now a fishing pier that goes across, basically across the bay. It's, you know, there's a South and a North side, so it doesn't go quite all the way across like the new bridge, but you can get out and fish, you know, deep in the bay. And there's so much structure from the old bridge. There's a bunch of grouper and Jewfish there. So, I mean, it's easy. People catch them there all the time. You can look on, uh, like YouTube, um, of Goliath grouper off the skyway and they catch, you know, two, 300 pounders just whenever they want to, you just got to drop about a 15 pound Jack Creval down and, uh, on a big rod and you will get eaten by one. Like they're, they're thick down there. Got a lot there. These, we saltwater or freshwater boys. We ain't got nothing on that saltwater game. That's for sure. That's yeah. Like, I, well, I mean, I grew up on saltwater fishing. I mean, freshwater fishing, like, like that's what I did every day, all day. My grandma, um, my great grandma, she lived, um, in Lutz, which is right there, basically on the County line between Hillsboro where Tampa is and then Pasco where I lived. And, um, she had a real neat piece of property. It was two acres and her and my great granddad in the fifties, um, built this house to look like a big, a big uh, red barn. And, uh, they dredged out even before then, like in the forties, they dredged this little, little Creek out and made it a big canal and all the, uh, the tails or whatever, the wash from the dredge, they built this Island up where it was a little bit of a high spot anyway. And, uh, and that's where she lived until she was, uh, 95 and she died. 
when I was a teenager, but uh, she was a fisherman. She's like, when I was real little, like catching brim off a cane pole, you know what I mean? Like two, three years old. It was my great grandma that I was fishing with. Like she, uh, she was hardcore about fishing. Did you do any, did you ever do any like free diving for lobster or anything that matter? Oh yeah. And the keys, um, and for scallops and stuff like that, we do up at like where, uh, just North of where I'm from there in Pasco County, where I keep talking about, um, it's big every year to go out and scallop, you know, cause it's good. There's a bunch of them there and you know, you can get several gallons of cleaned scallop meat, you know, a day. Yeah, was there ever a limit on scallop? Like how many you could uh, harvest or just free for Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a limit, but usually, you know, five or six people will go out on a boat, you know, there's usually a little drinking and sw- it's easy oh, to yeah. capture. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a social deal and enough people go out on each boat where you can come back with plenty. That's, that's awesome. Ain't on a, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Isn't there a lobster around the keys that doesn't have claws? It's a type that, of lobster. So, all the um yeah so that's a spiny rock lobster spiny rock yep so the yeah. only ones that have the claws are um like the the main lobster you know in the north atlantic everything down and through the caribbean and stuff like that is uh some variation of that spiny rock lobster i think like the, they call it a caribbean rock lobster down a little further south and they get bigger down there i uh I worked on the Cayman Island on little Cayman Island for uh, a few months when I was like 21 and um, it's tiny. Like this Island's so small, all the uh, food and supplies to do any work, everything comes in on a barge from St. Pete, you know, in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, everything comes over on a barge and uh, like the, the runway is only big enough for a little prop plane to land the mile or the it's uh, it's less than a mile wide, I think. And it's really short. Like you can, walk around it or ride a bike around it quick but uh it was great i fished every day after work and uh caught big snapper that's where i first caught a bone fish and uh i caught it on accident and uh those bone fish fight so good that uh i caught one on like a heavy snapper rod and trying to catch snapper and i pulled it up and it was like a 13 14 inch little bone fish and i'm like damn you put up that much of a fight and i went and got a real light long you know spinning rod that had light line that i could you know sight cast to the bonefish uh on the other side of the island it was just a flat a sand flat with a little turtle grass that you know at high tide it might be knee deep and at low tide it'd be just above ankle deep and you could see those bonefish out there and i caught a couple on a jig but usually i'd tip the jig with uh, a little piece of squid just so they could smell it because i was just having fun catching them i like, you know, I, I was, I didn't care about catching them all on artificial or whatever. And they would eat that little squid tip jig every time. And, uh, I think they can, I think I might be wrong, but somebody down there told me that they can swim, I think 27 or 28 mile an hour and man, they'll pull, you know, 75 yards of drag quick, you know, like by the time you get your rod tip up, they're screaming drag. They're a lot yeah. of fun. For bonefish, is it is there another name? Is that is it a snook we're talking about or no? Am I way off? No, no, bonefish is uh no. So, I don't think I've ever seen one. Okay, so it's it's mostly fly fishermen go after them. Like uh, down there's some in the keys. There's not a lot, but there's it there's fishable numbers in the keys. But then like Mexico and Puerto Rico and all those countries have like awesome uh 
bone fishing, but no, it's a strictly catch and release fish. They're slimy. They're not good to eat, but man, do they pull. Okay. I, I'm, look, I'm looking at them right now. Okay. okay yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a bunch, bunch of fly fishing. Yeah. Now are yeah. they just harder to catch? Even though I know you said you was catching them squid with, with fly fishing. Cause I know like people say a lot on like snook, how good their eyesight is. You, you oh, yes. be, be careful. Yeah. Yeah. That's why like, uh, the guys down there, you see people, using a big wire uh a black nylon coated wire leader with a bunch of beads on it and a big egg weight that's pegged on that leader and it, the leader is about 24 inches and then it's got a big snap a big clasp on the end to clip your hook on and they're like well how come i'm not catching anything and you are i <laughs> yeah. said well do you see the difference between what i got what i got going on and what you got going on like i'll teach you but yeah, uh, you're never going to catch them with that rig. I've I've always had that opinion. Just held a little bit of surf fishing we've done down at the beach. Just that the stuff you buy in the store is big and flashy and got all them beads yeah. on it and stuff. And I know, especially them surf fish, they, they see that and shrimp 24 7. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like you'll catch plenty of catfish on one of those rigs, but that's mm -hmm. about it. You know, little sharks and then the odd, you know, whiting and stuff like that, but not. You're not going to catch many snook at all. You're not, I use fluorocarbon leaders for all of my inshore fishing, you know, and that fluorocarbon um, it's, you know, it doesn't reflect any color. So it's pretty much invisible underwater and it's more expensive. It's an expensive leader, but I think they can, you know, they even see just that monofilament better than that fluorocarbon. So uh, I use as small a hooks as I can get away with. And I usually free, like if I'm snook fishing, um, I just use as small of a hook as I can. I use a long fluorocarbon leader. That's you got to go at least 40, you know, at least 40 pounds if you're catching big snook because their gill plates will just cut the line. You know, if you're trying to catch one 20 pound test, his gills are going to cut it the first time he makes a hard run away from you. I was so. in a, I was in Florida not too long ago. I think I forget how to say it. Fort DeSoto, DeSoto. Fort DeSoto. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We was down there fishing. That was the first time I've ever fished in Florida one, but I was very unaware of how you'll just be in five deep, hip deep water. We was trying to catch snook or whatever was wanting to bite or, mm -hmm. uh, I forget maybe sea trout. That's what we was going trout, for. Yeah. Speckled trout. Yeah. yeah there's red there. I've caught and, a lot of fish there, but I, I stay shallow on the mangrove side. Like when you're going out where there's mangroves along the mm -hmm. right. And, uh, I just, go into a little opening spot there and I wade along those mangroves cast in parallel with them, you know, five or so or less feet away from the mangroves and work like a topwater plug back. And there's a lot of snook on that side, but so I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're fine. Um, no, that, that topwater catching snook, I bet that's something to see. I was just, uh, oh, yeah. I was amazed on just fishing in you know, waist deep water and never in my life have I ever seen a manatee, how they would just oh, yeah. swim by you. That was like what the heck is that kind of thing yeah 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 if you didn't know what it was it could scare you and once yeah. in a while man they uh once in a while there's um american you know crocodiles down there around fort DeSoto. most of them are down in the everglades and south florida but they do and so not only gators you know but uh once in a while there's big american crocodiles up in fort DeSoto. so the waiting you know i've just i try to do it when the water's clear and i don't really worry about them but sometimes if it's high tide and i'm wading along those mangroves it's in the back of my mind you know something might shoot out of there and try to cut me in half but mm -hmm. i've never had much happen you know i had a big bull shark eat a redfish off the end of my line one time when i was waiting with a buddy of mine and 
so this guy it was my buddy joey i mentioned earlier taking him on hog hunts and getting finally getting him on some hogs and deer um but uh he wouldn't wade with me he was terrified of sharks it just i'd been wading since i was a kid he hadn't so he wasn't interested in going and it took me probably four or five trips and showing him the pictures of these big redfish and snook and stuff that i'm catching at this spot and um I like, he's like, Oh, there's sharks. I'm like, Oh, you're being a bitch. Just nothing happens to me. I go all the time, you know? And sure enough, the first time I talked him into going, um, I had a big, like a 40 inch redfish on and a big, well, I mean, big six and a half, seven foot bull shark bit that redfish. I probably had 10 feet of line out from the tip of my rod to the fish. And, uh, the shark was big enough that, I mean, that fish is big around in my thigh behind his head and they're hard scales, hard skeletons, they're tough fish. And that shark just in one split second, mm. bit that whole redfish off right behind its head. And uh, like, I felt it. And then I saw the wake come and it went shot right past me and my buddy. He's like behind me. I'm like, Oh shit, something's weird. Something feels wrong. And then the head floats up. And I feel just a pop when he chomped it in half. And then you can see the water, you know, coming towards us and uh i'm like oh shit this isn't good and i'm trying to get past him to get in shallower water and he's like damn near blocking me because he's so scared he's like what is it what is it and i said it's a fucking shark you know what i mean he's like you sure it's not a barracuda i said just get out of my way yeah. hell no it isn't a barracuda it just you know eight seven eighths of a 40 inch redfish bigger around than my yeah. leg you know Hey, you're, that 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 rule of thumb applies for water too it ain't about how fast you can swim it's about how fast you can swim the other guy right can you get on his shoulders or what can you do <laughs> yeah oh, hell. yeah how often are you going back to florida these days uh i just can't just came back up here i was down there for three weeks um i go back pretty often and um and go fit you know i go and fish um down there i've got buddies with boats i just bought a little river boat up here a, a little aluminum boat with a 50 horsepower outboard but it's got the the jet drive lower unit on it it's for running the rivers and stuff have you seen those mm -hmm. yeah that's so it's got that so i'm looking forward to checking out some of these rivers here and catching some smallmouth. um how long did you catch north carolina what's that how long did you say you've been in north carolina Oh, I came here uh, in September, but I just came back up here about two weeks ago. I was in Florida for a few weeks fishing, seeing my boy and stuff. And what uh, what lakes will you be at? What where, where about did you say you was located? So um, I'm in Allegheny County on the north side of North the North End, like right on the Virginia line. Um, you know, North Carolina, Virginia line, and it's about central of the state. Okay, I'm a, um, I'm a, I'm a so there's. Up. Yeah, there's the Yadkin River. Um, you know, Pilot Mountain. Oh, yeah, that's real close to here. Yeah. Uh, you said St that sounds like maybe close to Stokes County. Yeah, I think Stokes is real close. Yeah, um, it's right by – I'm just outside of Sparta, if you've heard of Sparta, which is by, like, um, State Road is another little, you know, little town or whatever. Wilkesboro is not far. Okay, yeah, you got your yeah. yeah, Allegheny, then uh Wilkes below it, Surrey to the right. And I think oh, if yeah, you go Surrey. one more, if you go one more over, I think that is uh Stokes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Allegheny, then Surrey, then Stokes. If you're going from uh, west to east, so yeah, okay, yeah, because we we hunt, we got a little hunting lease up there in Stokes, and we turkey hunt, so we're a little bit familiar with that part up top. Nice. I've seen a few big gobblers here. Um, not much though. I just saw some come up and roost over top of me when I was deer hunting one evening. Um, and I've got a couple on game cameras, but I'm probably going to check some uh, some of the game lands out this spring for turkey. Was uh, Allegheny, was it, uh, was it affected by any of the CWD? Did y'all have to report or give a sample off of anything? No, no, we didn't have to. They said half of Allegheny had a case or something like that, but everything around here was healthy. Um, so I didn't. I mean, you could. They said you could if you wanted to, but I mean, I, I hadn't seen any. I see a bunch of deer every day. I was seeing, you know, 20 deer and everything looked good to me and everything on my cameras looked good. And they said this half was safe. So I wasn't worried about it. No, that's, that's good because we're, we use that in Stokes. It was a, it was a secondary site. So like a certain duration in uh, November, we had to um, either like basically cut the head off and drop it off, or if we was getting it mounted, we'd take it to a taxidermist and they'd have to supply a sample. But other than that, we didn't have to do that. Once it got out of November, we just couldn't transport the carcass out of that county. Oh, yeah. But Yeah. Well, yeah, COVID it seems like there's quite a few deer around here, though. I'm looking forward to uh, to next, next fall already. Yeah. I... Um... And definitely best of luck to you. I definitely enjoyed this little episode we've done here. Um, I definitely pre- appreciate all your stories, man. That was that was definitely that had me hooked in for a little while. I was I was just listening, enjoying that. So I hope I didn't bounce around too much. I do. Oh, you, you did perfect, man. I, I enjoyed all of it, just uh, rolling right into everything. But yeah, that's cool to, to hear about them hogs and the moose and the, the wolves and the bears and everything, and just even yeah. British Columbia. I, I, that's a whole different I feel like lifestyle it is it's it's a different world for sure especially coming from Florida the first time I ever went there you know I'm like holy smokes <laughs> yeah. 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 but yeah. uh yeah well that's that's cool man it would definitely appreciate you coming on here we'll wrap this one up and uh want to keep in touch with you um we may cross paths with you whatnot maybe do some hunting together yeah, sounds good to me. And uh, yeah, I go back, you know, I go to Florida quite a bit. So if y'all are down there again, I'll get you out on a boat and catch some, catch some serious inshore fish. Let me I ask mean, you this. Where's the turkeys at in Florida? So they say that. Um, Can't help it. No, man. I, they, turkeys are easy in Florida, yeah. honestly. Dude, public land, bit, turkeys aren't hard down there. But um, to make sure that, you know, they say you got to go far into South florida to get 100 percent osceolas but that's just not the case i mean there's osceolas in north florida and there's also some easterns up there you know but uh that's south of state road 70 yeah but you don't have like uh it um state road 50 there's a state road 50 runs through a couple of management area they call management areas down there to be game lands here i guess and uh state road 50 or hot no it's highway 50 yeah it's highway 50 um that runs right through some wildlife management areas that there's always big birds roosting within a quarter mile off of that paved road and there's just you know dirt roads old logging roads going into these blocks yeah um hell i'll i'll uh send y'all the name of those management areas it's not hard man as long as you can you know scrape on a call a little bit yeah, no, that oh, would be awesome. Yeah, 
Um, definitely like to hit Florida at some point and do some turkey hunting. Uh, yeah. Osceola. But I guess yeah. the true Osceolas are in South Florida. Well, that's what the, that's, I think the reason they say that so much is, uh, because that's where most of the guides are and stuff like that. And the people that are charging big bucks, a couple grand to go down there and shoot one or whatever, you know, so they all want everybody down there and they say, you got to come, you know, and hunt down here, but no, all the Turkey, I've never seen Easterns in anything, um, anything South of like Dixie County, which is up there, um, like on the bend on the West coast of Florida, it's called horseshoe beach, anything from like that line, like, um, Swanee County, Dixie County, Chiefland area, anything from there South is Osceola's. I mean, you can tell by looking at one immediately. Yeah. What the yeah. hell is some damn oscillated turkeys? You ever seen one? Those, of are, the, those are from Mexico, man. And they're beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. They yeah. kind of look like a hot, like a turkey. And, and a peacock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they do. They're pretty, man. They're that's probably yeah. the prettiest turkey there is. Now, do you do much turkey hunting, Eric? Uh, I do a little bit. I mean, I I try to get one, you know, every year. Um, I'm not, you know, like I, I can uh call them in with a box call or a slate, but I like I'm not real good at calling with the mouth calls and stuff like that. But uh just from being in the woods down there, I always know where turkey are, so it's not hard, you know, you go out there and put a decoy out and sit down and shut up and you know more often than not one will come to you if you know where you're you know if you're where you should be so uh well and up here you know i'm gonna find some i'm gonna get one this spring but it's not you know i like deer hunting i like big game hunting more than turkey hunting but mm -hmm. that's probably because i'm better at it and you know stuff like that the turkey's exciting you know calling them in but yeah we got some turkey calls in production right now if you Want want to grab a couple? Well, we can send some to you. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it is a mouth call. Yeah, yeah, a mouth, mouth call though. Yeah, I'll have to check them out. But well, cool, man, Eric. We appreciate you, man. I I enjoyed the hell out of this. Just listen. Yeah, it was a good time. Stories. Um, we'll yeah. have to do it again with the, the 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 camera working this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll have to get the camera you have working. To take a look now. into that. Yeah, I'm gonna have somebody look at it and figure out my deal here. Cool, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Right. Uh, yeah, if you want to stay on here just with us <clears throat> for a second, and we'll wrap this up. So, appreciate y'all listening. Uh, y'all check us out. We've got the podcast coming up on the YouTube channel now. Um, obviously, just like I said, we got some production on some turkey calls right now with the mouth calls. Um, yeah, fun stuff going on. So, y'all check us out Instagram, YouTube, whatever, OnlyFans. Whatever you want. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, I'm uh, not. No. <laughs> All right, y'all. Peace. Nah, Eric. Appreciate you, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, talk to you soon. Yes, sir.